Hotep, founder of the African Love History Hope Network. Radio. All right, we're on live. Hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. Hey, welcome to uh, the African History Network show in overtime. Some of you saw uh, our broadcast from uh, tonight, Sunday, April 29th. 2018 on 9:10 a.m. the Superstation, and there were some uh, topics that we did not have time to get to, so I said, "Well, look, we'll do another broadcast," um, and uh, we're on live now. Okay, so we'll be on Facebook Live on our fan page, The African History Network, uh, in a few minutes. I'm waiting for that to start up. But we but we're here on uh, Blog Talk Radio. So on tonight's show, we talked uh, some about Bill Cosby uh, found guilty on three counts of sexual assault. Um, we dealt with that. Did not get a chance to talk about Colin Kaepernick. Did Colin Kaepernick just get the evidence he needs to prove the NFL, to prove the NFL colluded against him? Um, also, I have to talk about the story. Black students marched against gun violence in Florida, but you likely did not hear about it. I uh, did not get a chance to talk about the uh, ADL will no longer co-lead Starbucks diversity training. Um, I, I shared the clip from Politics Nation, Reverend Al Sharpton. Uh, we're going to play that again because I did not get a chance to get to all of that. That's a very, very important clip because that deals with the um, uh, Waffle House uh, uh, arrest of Jakesia Clements. Okay, so we're going to... Uh, We'll play that in its entirety. We played some of that on the air, uh, but did not get a chance to get to all of it. Only have two hours uh, on 9, 10 a.m. the Superstation, but we appreciate that. We talked a little bit about the lynching museum that opened uh, this past Thursday, I think it was, in Alabama to honor 4,400 African Americans. And they talked about that in the clip from Reverend Al Sharpton. Okay, so we'll, we'll come to that here um, in just a minute. All right, so we should be uh, starting a broadcast on um, Facebook Live here uh, in a couple of minutes. So I have to get that up and running. Uh, the call-in number is uh, 914-338-1375, 914-338-1375 if um, you have a question or comment. So this is the first time we broadcast it live in some time on uh, Blog Talk Radio. And uh, we should be able to play the uh, have a couple of uh, uh, audio uh, clips. We should be able. I'm going to see if we can play that because we'll play that through uh, the speakers. You should be able to hear that here. Okay. Hold so on a second. Sixty, me, uh, six, some sixty women have accused Bill Cosby that, uh, uh, of, of various there. indiscretions of sexual we'll harassment. You're saying here. all these so women, all sixty women, are lying. Facebook live. May I ask a question? Since when are all people honest? And since when are all women honest? We can take a look at Emmett Hill, for example. Since when are all people honest? And George, this became a public lynching. What they did, what Gloria Allred was able to do, she took a salt and pepper shaker. She shaked out a lot of salt and sprinkled a little black pepper. And the sound came east. And that's what we saw. 
the African history. Okay, Network. so that was Broadcast. from uh, Good Morning America. Let me play that again. Uh, Facebook Live. For the show. We have information there. May I ask a question? Since when are all people honest? And since when are all women honest? We can take a look at Emmett Hill, for example. Since when are all people honest? And George, this became a public lynching. What they did with Lori Allred with David and she took a salt and pepper shaker. She shaked out a lot of salt and sprinkled it. That we, uh, and the South about. came East. And that's what and we saw. I want to go to this uh, clip here that was uh, from Good Morning America uh, dealing with Bill Cosby. We'll come to this in just a minute once we're on live on Facebook. Because this was uh, his assistant and his publicist. And they were talking about it. Okay, so uh, the article from the New York Times, Bill Cosby is found guilty of sexual assault. Bill Cosby is found guilty of sexual assault. Okay. So, um, uh, and we know he's found guilty on three counts of aggravated indecent assault against Andrea Constant, uh, who was a, who at the time, uh, in 2004 was a Temple University employee. All right. So I'm going to, uh, let's see, we'll get this clip up here in just a minute and then we'll get, we'll get it going on Facebook live also. So stand by. Okay, let's close that out. And um, let's see. Okay. So in about a minute, we'll be broadcasting on Facebook Live. And let me post this information here. Just a second. Okay, I want everybody uh, to know that, though, uh, number one, we have a weekend sale going on at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have the 8-DVD Black Panther Bundle Pack, 8-DVD Black Panther Bundle Pack. Uh, you get two of my presentations dealing with the film Black Panther. Uh, also, um, you get um, uh, the 1804 documentary dealing with the history of the Haitian Revolution, uh, Black Friday uh, Part 2 that I'm in dealing with economic empowerment, practical strategies for that, uh, elementary genocide Part 3 dealing with fighting against the school-to-prison pipeline and um, taking control of African-American children's education. And then you get some other presentations from me. That's on sale, $80, regularly $130. Includes uh, two presentations I did dealing with the film Black Panther. That's at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, okay? AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And then also we have uh, our bundle packs, uh, our bundle pack dealing with our online courses uh, also at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Call in numbers 914-338-1375. 914-338-1375 is the call in number if you have a question or comment. And uh, at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world, because right knowledge corrects wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. Okay? Uh, let's see. Let's go live on Facebook. All right. Let's check this out here. Okay, so we should be live on Facebook. How's everybody doing? Hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. The talk show host, researcher, lecturer, and writer. We're broadcasting on Blog Talk Radio uh, as well. So you can call in, 914-338-1375 is the call-in number. 914-338-1375 is the call-in number. This is part two 
of the African History Network show. Uh, we were doing 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation. We had so many callers call in. We had so much information to cover that uh, we could not get to uh, all of the information, okay? So I said, hey, okay, so we'll do part two here, all right? So those who are watching our Facebook Live broadcast when I was in the studio, 9, 10 a.m., the Superstation, uh, we're doing part two right now, okay? And the call-in number is uh, 914-338-1375, okay? 914-338-1375. You can also listen by phone as well, okay? 914-338-1375. And press the number one key uh, if you have a question or comment, Okay. Press the number one key if you have a uh, question or comment as well. All right. So uh, we're uh, broadcasting through Blog Talk Radio and on Facebook Live, on Facebook, our Facebook uh, fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network on Facebook. All right. So let's continue with this. Okay. So uh, I was playing the clip from Politics Nation. And this is very important. This is dealing with Chakesia uh, Clemens. We're going to come to that. Uh, I want to go to this clip here from um, uh, dealing with Bill Cosby. Okay, we'll do a Bill Cosby first, then we'll go to Chakesia Clemens and uh, Waffle House. And an update on that, because Attorney Benjamin Crump is handling her case now. He held a press conference this past Wednesday, okay, dealing with uh, some new information, some new um uh, uh, new information and new um, witnesses, okay, that the police apparently have not interviewed, all right, and they contradict uh, what the police were saying. Okay, so I want to go to uh, this clip here, and we need to see if we can get this started. Um, the publicist for Bill Cosby and um, his uh, assistant, they were interviewed on Good Morning America, on um, Good Morning America, this uh, I guess it was Friday. This was Friday, and here's an excerpt of what they had to say. Hold on a second. Sixty, six, some sixty women have accused Bill Cosby uh, of, of various indiscretions of sexual harassment. You're saying all these women, all sixty women? <laughs> Okay, so that was from uh, Good Morning America. Let me play that again. Okay, so that was um, from uh, Good Morning America. Somehow it's not playing on... uh, um, not playing on uh, Blog Talk Radio. Don't know why I have to figure that out. Okay, but uh, check out the article from AtlantaBlackStar.com. AtlantaBlackStar.com. Uh, the article is entitled, let's see, Cosby's Cosby's reps give fiery response 
when asked if all 60 women accusing the comedian, comedian of rape are lying. Okay, so uh, check that out, and uh, we'll post a link here on the thread of the broadcast here on um, on Facebook. All right, follow us on our fan page, the African History Network, the African History Network. You can watch us there. Okay, so uh, I, I want to go and um, um, finish the um, the segment from Politics Nation, Reverend Al Sharpton, because he interviewed uh, Attorney Benjamin Crump and Takesia Clemens this morning, okay, uh, Sunday, uh, April 29th. And they talked about the case and, and uh, talked about um, Benjamin Crump representing uh, Takesia Clemens, okay. Uh, so uh, we're getting that loaded up for you here. How's everybody doing on Facebook, okay? Uh, everybody share this broadcast on your Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also. Sorry we ran out of time um, on the African History Network show on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation. We're on Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. only have two hours, so we ran out of time there. But uh, we're here, okay? Let's see. So if you have uh, any questions, comments, go ahead and post them. I got Wendy Martin, Marvin in Harlem, Ken C. Reed as well. And um, we'll post the, um, also the information here uh, for our uh, bundle pack of our uh, online courses that I teach. We have a bundle pack on sale right now. Um, $60 is about 10 in the bundle pack. Uh, we just posted a link there. Also, you can go to AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. To register for those, they're all on demand. We have a bundle pack that also includes ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, okay? And um, that is a 14-hour, seven-session online uh, uh, class that I teach, and it's all on demand. All right. Okay, so this clip is not loading up properly. Let's fix this. Let's go to that one. Okay, we'll get this. I want you to hear this here. We'll get this. All right, let's go to this. of James Shaw Jr., African-American man who disarmed the suspect in the shooting that killed four people at the Waffle House restaurant in Tennessee earlier this week. As of this minute, President Trump still has yet to comment on the courage of James Shaw Jr., African-American man who disarmed the suspect in the shooting that killed four people at the Waffle House restaurant in Tennessee earlier this week. Given the optics of an unarmed black man neutralizing a well-armed white man in a pro-Trump state, this snub is not surprising. No, but it is telling nonetheless that this president, famous for his attacking people of color on Twitter, has not taken the time to celebrate Shaw's bravery, despite much of the nation doing so. And in the aftermath of the Starbucks controversy earlier this month, and now the viral arrest of 25-year-old Black woman, Jakesha Clemens, at an Alabama Waffle House last Sunday. Black America still cannot count on this White House for public reassurance, let alone policing reform. Joining me now is attorney Benjamin Crump and his client, 
Shakisha Clemens. Shakisha, let, let, let me go to you first. Uh, I know you can't talk a lot about the incident because at, you were charged and you're still facing that. But first and foremost, how are you doing after this attack that the whole nation saw? How, how, are, you, how are you doing? Well, you know, I'm just taking it day by day. Um, it's just so hard on me. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I'm constantly crying. Um, I have a six-year-old daughter. I'm trying to be strong for her, so she sees me crying. She starts to cry, so it's just very hard on me at the time right now. After going through this, being, you know, uh, humiliated in the way that we saw it, the film, Body Exposed and all, what message do you have to people around the country that have come to, to stand up for you and stand up for your dignity that are watching you this morning without getting into the details of your case? What message would you say to America this morning from you, the person that has been treated in this way that we saw on the video? Um, what I would like to say is I'm so appreciative of the love and the support that you guys are offering and have been giving me. Um, I just want to ask that you guys, you know, continue to be behind me, continue to stand behind me as we fight for justice for me. And I thank you guys so much. Now, you know, uh, Attorney Crump, uh, I, I will be in Mobile with you on uh, Mobile, Alabama this Tuesday with Shakish and her mother and other because we're hearing that there is a widespread of complaints about the Mobile Police Department and some of what's been going on in the Waffle Houses and other places. And we're going to have a town to let people come forward and tell us about it. And I'll be glad to join you there Tuesday night. But let me ask you what you can share with people around the country of what we saw in that viral as much as you can share with us. Give us the background of what caused this. Uh, and and I, I, in my opinion, that justifies it. But what brought this about? Yes, sir, um, Reverend Allen. Thank you so much for coming to Sarah Land, Alabama, where it happened, which is a suburb outside of Mobile. This all took place because Shakisha and her friends were at the Waffle House, and they asked for plastic utensils because they didn't want the metal utensils. They wanted to use plastic utensils that they knew were clean and sterilized. The waitress then said, well, it's going to be 50 cents each in a very hostile manner. And they said, we had never been charged for plastic utensils before. So there was some banner back and forth. And over that uh, argument, then Shakisha said, well, can I have the corporate phone number? Because we think that you're mistreating us. We think you're discriminating against us. And from there, the waitress yelled at them and called the police on them. And so they are trying to say that it was all Shakisha and the young ladies who were starting the commotion. But there are two independent white women who were in the restaurant that night that said what the waitress did and more importantly, what the Saraland police did, Reverend Al, was just unacceptable. They threatened her. They assaulted her. They body slammed this unarmed black woman. They choked her. They told her they were going to break her arm. It was a gross violation of her civil and human rights. And this we must defend. We have to stand with her. No doubt. And if that video hadn't been there, they probably would have been saying none of this happened.
Uh, let's bring in Jamil Smith, senior writer for Rolling Stone magazine. He's in Montgomery, Alabama. Jamil, I mean, when we saw this video, uh, I mean, it was an outrage. It, it, it's almost an understatement. And you were down in Montgomery uh, covering the opening of the uh, museum about lynching, which we covered on this show last uh, Sunday. And here we are right down the road from where the museum's opening, and we see people of color, a black woman treated in this way, no matter what led up to it. How do you drag and humiliate and threaten and expose the breasts of a black woman in 2018 and get away with that? Well, I think, Reverend, what we're seeing here, of course, is, you know, simply an evolution of what's being memorialized here in Montgomery. When you go into the memorial, one of the things you'll see is a listing of different deaths, you know, different murders uh, that happened. And the, really the reasons, the justifications that were given for those murders. And some of them are as meaning, you know, meaningless as, you know, speaking, you know, out of turn to a white woman or uh you know, simply asking for a shovel returned uh, after a job. Things like that were used as justification for the murder of black people in this country. And what we've seen now is what Brian Stevenson here, the uh, director of the Equal Justice Initiative that created these uh, this memorial and museum, would probably say is that we've seen an evolution of that behavior. While white spaces are not policed, usually by police now, you know, with murder, all the time, they are policed with the kind of behavior that we saw with Shakespeare Clemens, where we have, you know, simply uh, utter disregard for the safety and dignity of black people and all over what? It seems plastic utensils. And so you know, we're seeing that, the, the, the very, very minimum. Yeah, we're seeing the very minimum justification for this kind of brutality. And we're seeing now, as Ms. Clemens has described, the, the effects of it. I think that, you know, that, that that's the real point, Attorney uh, Crump. We're talking about over utensils. And, you know, I, I, I'm from the North, but I spent some time in the South. I've never heard of paying for utensils at a Waffle House. Back in my old uh, bad eating uh, days, I would eat at Waffle House. But whether that's the case or not, uh, I mean, what are we talking about? Okay, just a second here. That okay, there human life, human bodies uh, uh, can be treated in that way over a 50 cent that you want to try to rightfully or wrongfully charge over a fork or a knife. And this, again, I think Jamil is right, is an evolution from the day that we were considered property. So now we're less yes. than utensils at a Waffle House in terms of our bodies being respected. Exactly, Reverend Al. And this harkens back to the Civil Rights Act of 1964 with Title II uh, prohibiting discrimination in public accommodations. We thought we had fought that war and won it against Jim Crow, but now we have Jim Crow Jr. And Starbucks is more sophisticated after two minutes where the rules are different for a young black man. You can't sit there and get free Wi-Fi. You're laudering. Where with Shakisha, you don't get free utensils like everybody else. We arbitrarily give utensils who we want to give them to. And all of this 
they are assaulting this young lady's character. We have to look at this waitress's questionable past. Waffle House has justified this based on her presentation. And we want you to look deeper at that. And the last thing I would say, Reverend Al, is we have young white men who have been confirmed as mass murderers get more consideration and more respect from police officers than this unarmed black woman. As long as I, I have guys breath in my body, Reverend Al, we have to stand up for our unarmed black women. I think that's the point, Jamil, is that, yes, Starbucks, mm -hmm. who stepped up and doing some things, Waffle House, who's trying to justify this, but the police, when I when I talk about the utensils compared to the value of Shakisha, the police in Philly, the police in Alabama seem to have this view that we don't matter. We have no rights. There, no, there's no worth worthiness there of respect and regard. The manager at the Waffle House or Starbucks did not make the arrest of the boys at Starbucks or drag uh, Shakisha. It was the police, people that we paid to protect us, that see us like that. And that's something I hope does not get lost in this. And we've not heard one word from this president. He's had laryngitis on these issues that have been national uh, uh, all over, national in terms of concern and outrage. Not one tweet, not one utterance has this president given. Right, of course. I mean, this president serves at the foot of white supremacy, so we're not expecting necessarily to hear from him when black people are, are, dig are you know, certainly their dignity is assaulted, or in the case of James Shaw, if they actually save people from being killed by a white man. But right. let's let's address one thing that you said there. You know, the, the response of Waffle House reflects the response of this waitress. They use the police to police this space for white people. And I think we need to see as much uproar about uh, Ms. Clemens's case, as yep. we have seen about the Starbucks case. And we will. I'm going to have to leave it there. Thank you, Shakisha Clemens, Benjamin Crump, and Jamil yes, Smith. Okay, so that was from uh, that was from Sunday morning, April 29th, 2018, Politics Nation. That's called, uh, that clip is called, uh, we'll get it for you. You can pull it up at msnbc.com on racism in the Trump era, on racism in the Trump era, okay? MSNBC.com, uh, Politics Nation, Reverend Al Sharpton. Okay, so uh, stay tuned for that. We'll probably do, as we have updates on that case coming out of uh, Sarah Land, Alabama, dealing with the uh, Waffle House. We'll probably, uh, probably do some Facebook Live broadcasts um, this Sunday, not Sunday, uh, this week talking about that. Okay, the call-in number is area code 914 is the call-in number. If you have a question or comment, press the number one key to put you in queue so we can bring you on the air. Press the number one key to put you in queue so we can bring you on the air, okay? And uh, you can also listen if you call that number also. So if you have to move away from the computer or something like that, you can also call in at 914-338-1375 and listen there as well because we're broadcasting through uh, also blog, blog Talk Radio. And those listening through Blog Talk, we're also broadcasting on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, 
the African History Network. So broadcasting there, you can watch us there also. Those watching us on Facebook, share this broadcast on your Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also. Okay, so the lynching museum that they just mentioned in that clip from Politics Nation, that opened uh, this past week in Alabama, all right? I think that was uh, Thursday that it opened up. Uh, was that April 26th, I think it was? Thursday, April 26th. So there's a good article. You heard me talk about this last week, and I uh, did a Facebook Live broadcast about this this past week. Uh, it's a good article from NBCNews.com dealing with this, okay? Legacy Museum opens in Montgomery, Alabama, to highlight slavery lynchings. Legacy Museum opens in uh, Montgomery, Alabama to highlight slavery lynchings, right? We know that uh, Alabama was the uh, ground zero for the Voting Rights Act of 1965 also, right? Okay, so the Legacy Museum, and let me see if I can pull this up uh, over here. I had that article up. There's so many of these articles here. Okay. Um, and then also from the L.A. Times, there was a good article dealing with how uh, lynchings were used to uh, attack African-Americans and uh, uh, keep us out of jobs as well. We'll talk some about that also. Okay. Let's see here. All right. Uh, the Legacy Museum from Enslavement to Mass Incarceration opened this week on the site of a former slave pen, P-E-N, in Montgomery, Alabama, where African Americans were once imprisoned before being sold at auction. So even the location uh, that uh, where they had, even the location of where this museum is, is uh, historical and significant also, okay? Um, and unfortunately, an unflinching reminder of America's racist past, an unflinching reminder of America's uh, racist past, racist legacy, the 11,000-square-foot facility will serve as a place of learning for visitors by detailing the tragic history of the slave trade and following through to current-day problems associated with mass incarceration. All right, just a second. Let me... uh, Okay, here we go. I want to pull this up. Okay. I want to pull up this article here on uh, my computer screen. All right, so uh, the Equal Justice Initiative, the Equal Justice Initiative, Equal Justice Initiative, a Montgomery, Alabama nonprofit organization that provides legal aid to people who may be wrongfully convicted, said that it raised more than $20 million in private donations to fund the project, okay? Now, the executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative is Brian Stevenson, okay? Brian Stevenson is an attorney. Uh, He's doing some excellent, excellent work uh, with this. I've been following him for a few years now, okay? Uh, And also, Brian Stevenson, his name sounds familiar. You heard me talk about him when dealing with Starbucks because he's one of the people who Starbucks is working with to put together their implicit bias training. Okay, the implicit bias training, uh, Brian Stevenson. So a national memorial for peace and justice is located a few blocks from the museum. Okay, a national memorial for peace and justice is located a few blocks from the muse- from the museum and features more than 800 steel monuments that bear the names of lynching victims throughout the uh, country. All right, in its creation, organizers discovered the names of 
4,400 African Americans who were lynched or who died in racial killing, killings between 1877 and 1950, okay? Now, all except 300, all except 300 of these racial killings took place in the South. I wonder why. Now, for, this, for some visitors to the museum and memorial, seeing the stark and plaintive tributes to the past was painful. Uh, Tony Battle, who drove uh, from uh, San Francisco for Thursday's opening in the rain, said, uh, told the Associated Press, I'm a descendant of three lynching victims. I'm a descendant of three lynching victims, okay? And uh, Tony Battle said, I wanted uh, to come and honor uh, them and also those in my family that could not be here. Okay, I wanted to come and honor them and those in my family uh, who could not be here. All right. Uh, let me see. And we'll go to some of your comments here on Facebook. Also, those on Facebook, you can also call in uh, with questions and comments at 914-338-1375. 914-338-1375 is the call in number. If you have a question or comment. Uh, okay, so. Um, they have one picture here of Ed Sykes, who's 77 years old. He visits the National Memorial for Peace and uh, Justice on uh, Thursday, April 26th in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, Ed Sykes, uh, who has family in Mississippi, was distraught uh, when he discovered his last name in the memorial three months after finding, after finding it on separate memorial uh, on a separate memorial in Clay County, Mississippi. He said, quote, this is the second time, this is the second time uh, I've seen uh, the name Sykes, S-Y-K-E-S, as a hanging victim. What can I say, he said. He plans to investigate uh, the lynching of a possible relative uh, at the uh, Equal Justice uh, Initiative. Okay, at the Equal Justice Initiative's headquarters in Montgomery, Alabama, before uh, returning to San Francisco, where he lives, uh, where he lives. Okay, so uh, let's see here. So in this article, they show some of the people checking out the memorial, uh, things like this. Okay, but it's something very, very uh, powerful and very much needed. Uh, I have a, a few different articles. I did a Facebook Live broadcast earlier in the week. Uh, dealing with this memorial and the museum. All right, so check that out. We have it here at the African History Network on Facebook. Click on videos. Also on our fan page, the African History Network. Okay, so there was an article from uh, earlier in the week from AL.com, Alabama.com. All right, AL.com from uh, April 23rd uh, and April 24th. Uh, memorial, museum, recount terror of lynching, Slavery's Legacies, okay? Memorial, Museum, Recount, Terror of Lynching, Slavery's Legacies. And one of the things they talk about is um, some, of the, some of the examples of African Americans who were lynched and some of the reasons why they were lynched. So you had a 14-year-old uh, boy named Warren Powell, P-O-W-E-L-L, -L, Warren Powell. He was lynched in East Point, Georgia, in 1889 for frightening a white girl, for frightening a white girl. You had William Miller, 
who was lynched in Brighton in 1908 for organizing local coal miners. You had Calvin Kimberlin, who was lynched by a mob of at least 3,000 in Pueblo, Colorado in the year 1900, okay? Um, and Brian Stevenson said it could be the most minor social aggression. It could be the most minor social aggression, knocking on the front door of a white woman, not calling a police officer mister, walking behind your employer's wife, asking for high wages as a sharecropper, okay? There was in, in uh, Arkansas, if I remember correctly, in Arkansas, there was a huge uh, uh, killing of sharecroppers, African-American sharecroppers, who were organizing for better pay. And there were uh, uh, hundreds of them who, uh, who were killed. Uh, I'm going to try to bring up that story because um, blackpass.org has an article about that as well as uh, uh, blackden.com. Okay, dailybeast.com has an article about it as well. And uh, let's see, because I have this stuff bookmarked here. Okay, dailybeast.com, we'll pull this up. America's Forgotten Mass Lynching. America's Forgotten Mass Lynching. Okay, okay, so uh, that's some information about that. Check out that article from al.com, alabama.com. You can just go there and search for a lynching museum. Name of this article is Memorial Museum Recount Terror of Lynching Slavery's Legacies. Okay, uh, we're gonna pull up this article here from Ala, from uh, the DailyBeast.com in just a minute here. Okay, we'll get this up for you. Um, you have the story of one of the lynching victims named Elmore. Bowling, Elmore Bowling. I talked about him earlier in the month in my in my broadcast, uh, my podcast. Elmore Bowling defied the odds against black men and built several successful businesses during the harsh era of Jim Crow segregation in the South. He had more money than a lot of whites, which his descendants believe was all it took to get him lynched in 1947. This was an article from AtlantaBlackStar.com reported by the Associated Press, April 25th. 2018, we don't confront the legacy of lynching. New memorial offers chance to remember, heal, H-E-A-L. We don't confront the legacy of lynching. New memorial offers chance to remember, heal. This site includes a memorial to victims of 4,400 terror lynchings of black people in 800 U.S. counties, 800 U.S. counties from 1877 to 1950. So 1877 is when... uh, when Reconstruction ends, 1877. All but 300 were in the South, and prosecutions were rare in any of these cases. Brian Stevenson, executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative, said that said they emphasized the lynching era because he believes it's an aspect of the nation's racial history that's, that's discussed the least. The racial terror, the racial lynchings, also are tied to the Confederate monuments being erected at long after the Civil War ends, largely from 1895 to 1915 and 1955 to 1970. They were erected in opposition of African Americans making any advancements. They were designed to keep African Americans in a low status in society and designed as symbols of racial terror. These were what these Confederate monuments were designed to do. Most of the schools that uh, were named after Confederate 
soldiers and Confederate generals and things like this. A lot, most of that comes in opposition to Brown versus Board of Education. So most of that comes 1954, 1955, and on, as 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 direct opposition to Brown versus Board of Education desegregation case in 1954. If we look at this article from the dailybeast.com, the dailybeast.com, we'll post a link over here on the thread of the broadcast on Facebook. America's forgotten mass lynching when 237 people were murdered in camp in Arkansas. Arkansas. America's forgotten mass lynching when 237 people were murdered in Arkansas. In 1919 in the wake of World War 1, African American sharecroppers unionized in Arkansas unleashing a wave of white white vigilantism and mass murder that left 237 people dead, okay? Uh, We're going to post this link here. So, so see, this is why this uh, lynching museum and memorial is so important, because this confronts white supremacy and deals with the history behind all these lynchings and exposes this stuff. This is all. This is also tied to. It's tied to the to, to slavery. Two hundred forty-six years of slavery. It's tied to the Civil War, eighteen sixty-one to eighteen sixty-five. It's tied to Reconstruction, eighteen sixty-five to eighteen seventy-seven. It's tied to Plessy versus Ferguson, eighteen ninety-six. The racial terror inflicted upon African Americans uh, and the increase in lynchings from eighteen ninety-six to nineteen fifteen is tied to World War One, which was nineteen fourteen to nineteen eighteen, and it, t- it ties directly right into the Red Summer of nineteen nineteen when you had over twenty-five major race riots in this country. Okay, because these white men who uh, went to go fight in World War One, you had about five million men who fought in World War One, uh, a woman majority of them white. And when many of these men come back, they can't find jobs because these jobs were being filled by African-Americans and immigrants. And then you're going to have over 25 major race riots in this country. 1919 was known as the Red Summer. You've heard me talk about the Red Summer before. And, and you, have these, you have these white men who are attacking African-Americans because they can't find jobs. And 19, uh, uh, the, the reason why the Great Migration takes place is largely because these African Americans are going up north to fill these uh, jobs in factories, this, to fill this labor vacuum that was left by all these white men going to fight in World War One. Yes, you have some going up north before 1915 with the uh, going into the auto industry, going to work for Henry Ford, like in Highland Park, Michigan. Henry Ford starts Ford Motor Company in 1908, but the but the but the real surge you're going to see the you're going to see the Great Migration is usually looked at from 1915 to 1960. And you have five million African Americans, at least five million, some sources say six million, going uh, up north and then out west. Okay, let me post this. Uh, trying to post this link here. How's everybody doing? Um, you can call in if you have a question or comment. Nine one four three three eight thirteen seventy five. Nine one four three three eight thirteen seventy five. Press number one key to put you in queue so we can bring you on the air. And then also we'll go to. Uh, some of your comments here uh, on Facebook here in just a minute. All right, so uh, this is part two of the African History Network show. Uh, we're on 9, 10 a.m. the Superstations every Sunday, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You saw me in the studio of the radio station earlier. And then this is part two, okay, because we ran out of time. All right, so the visits began in the fall of 1918, just as World War I was ending. At his office in Little Rock, Arkansas, Attorney Ulysses S. Bratton listened as African-American sharecroppers from the Delta 
told stories of theft, exploitation, and endless debt. Theft, exploitation, and, in, and endless debt. A man named Carter, a man named Carter, C-A-R-T-E-R, had tended 90 acres of cotton, only to have his landlord seize the entire crop and his possessions. From the town of Ratio, R-A-T-I-O, I guess it's pronounced Ratio, in Phillips County, Arkansas, an African-American farmer reported that a plantation manager refused to give sharecroppers an, item, an itemized account for their crop. Another sharecropper told of a landlord trying to, quote, to starve the people into selling the cotton at his own price. He tried to, quote, to starve the people, S-T-A-R-V-E, to starve the people into selling the cotton uh, at his own price. They actually, they, he said, they ain't allowing us down there, uh, down their room to move our feet except to go to the field. They ain't allowing us down their, uh, down their room to move our feet except to go to the field, okay? Uh, just a second here. I'm trying to see if I can post this link here. All right. Uh, okay, here we go. We'll try to post it here in just a minute. Okay, so no one could know it at the time, but within a year, these inauspicious meetings would lead to one of the worst episodes of racial violence in U.S. history. Initiated by whites, the violence by any measure, a massacre claimed the lives of 237 African Americans, according to a just-released report from WHO? The Equal Justice Initiative. That's Brian Stevenson. The Equal Justice Initiative. Brian Stevenson is right on it. The death toll was unusually high, but the use of racial violence to subjugate African Americans during this time was not uncommon. As the Equal Justice Initiative observes, quote, racial terror lynching was a tool used to enforce Jim Crow laws and racial segregation, a tactic for maintaining racial control by victimizing the entire African American community, not merely punishment of an alleged perpetrator for a crime. This was certainly true of the massacre in Phillip County, Arkansas. Okay, let me repeat what Brian Stevenson said. Then I'm going to tie this to the Civil Rights Act of 64, because people still today don't understand the Civil Rights Act of 64. This was not about sitting down, having a cup of coffee at a white lunch counter. That's not what that was about. You have to understand that racial terror was being inflicted upon African-Americans in the South to enforce the Jim Crow laws. So they're fighting for federal legislation to tear down the Jim Crow laws and at the same time attack the racial terror inflicted upon them. Because if, if, the, if the racial terror is inflicted to, to, to impose the Jim Crow laws and support the Jim Crow laws, well, if you tear down the Jim Crow laws, make all that stuff illegal, then you're also attacking the racial terror inflicted upon you. This is what the Civil Rights Act was about. It wasn't about being able to sit on the toilet next to white people. They wanted, they wanted equal rights. They wanted all their rights right now. But they were also attacking the racial terror that was being inflicted upon them to enforce the Jim Crow laws. They were attacking things like the White Citizens Council formed in 1954 in Mississippi 
that helped to uphold the Jim Crow laws. Brian Stevenson said um, the Equal Justice Initiative observes, quote, racial terror lynching was a tool used to enforce Jim Crow laws and racial segregation, a tactic for maintaining racial control by victimizing the entire African-American community, not merely punishment of an alleged perpetrator for a crime, end quote, okay? Now, uh, Branton agreed to represent the cheated sharecroppers, okay? This was uh, Ulysses S. Branton, Little, uh, Little Rock, Arkansas attorney Ulysses S. Branton, okay? So Branton agreed, let me see how long is this? Okay, we're going to share some. I don't have time to get through the whole article, but we'll share a little bit more. You can read the rest of this. Uh, this is from the dailybeast.com. And uh, let me see if I can post this link here now. Just a second here. Okay, how's everybody doing? Okay, Rachel said Jim Crow still lives, uh, though. Yeah, but Jim Crow was much worse back then. You can't compare. You can't know. Jim Crow was much worse back then. 1919? You ever studied the Red Summer? 1918? 1915? When The Birth of a Nation comes out, February 8th, 1915, and that movie calls race riots in the streets? You deal with the East St. Louis race riot in 1917? Okay? Which, which, and, and, and the East St. Louis race riot in 1917 leads to the... Uh, um, the, uh, 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 Nash, the, the National March, the Silent March, the Silent March of African Americans, something like 11,000 African Americans. They were fighting for anti, for federal anti-lynching laws. You can't you can't compare any any type of uh, uh, segregation or um, the, the the racial terror that was going on in 1919, 1915. Dude, we. we that does not compare to what's going on today. I'm telling you. It's in a different form today, but it, dude, what, what they were dealing with is on a whole nother level. When you actually research this, it's on a whole nother level. I mean, you're dealing with 4,400 lynchings from 1877 to 1950, and, and, and all except 300 took place in the South. These are just ones in the South. They're not saying that people have to understand that they're not saying. um, And also, that's not even looking at the ones that took place going back to 1865. All right. Okay. so Ulysses S. Branton uh, agreed to represent. And we posted the article here on the thread of the broadcast, okay? It's from the dailybeast.com, America's Forgotten Mass Lynching When 237 People Were Murdered in Arkansas, okay, from the dailybeast.com. Ulysses S. Branton agreed to represent the church of the cheated sharecroppers who also joined a new union, the Progressive Farmers and Household Union of America, the Progressive Farmers and Household Union of America. Its founder a black Delta native named Robert Hill had no prior organizing experience, but plenty of ambition. Quote, the union wants to know why it is that the laborers cannot control their just earnings, which they work for, end quote. The union wants to know 
why it is that the laborers, these African-American sharecroppers, cannot control their just earnings, which they work for, okay? Um, Robert Hill announced, as he urged black sharecroppers to each recruit 25 prospective members to form a lodge, L-O-D-G-E, to form a lodge. Um, uh, Black Delta native Robert Hill, who was the founder of the Progressive Farmers and Household Union of America. Um, He was especially successful in Phillips County, where seven lodges were established in 1919. Now, this is the year of the Red Summer. 1919 is the year after World War I ends. And people have to understand, not only did these white men come back and can't find jobs because African Americans and immigrants are doing their job, these white men come back with military training on how to fight and how to kill. And many of them are bringing weapons back from the military also. You had African-American uh, uh, men who served in World War I. They learned how to fight and kill, so you're going to have them fighting in the streets, fighting back and forth. Okay? We see this. We see a lot of these former World War I veterans, these white veterans, attacking Black Wall Street, June 1st, 1921. And we see uh, uh, African-American uh, World War I veterans who are shooting back. Now, it took a lot of courage to defy the Arkansas Delta's white elite, men such as the initials E.M. Allen, E.M. Allen, nicknamed Mort, controlled the local economy, government, law, uh, law enforcement, and courts, okay? Men such as E.M. Allen controlled the local economy, government, law enforcement, and the courts. E.M. Allen was a uh, uh, latter-day carpetbagger, a northerner who had had come to Arkansas in 1906 to make his fortune. He married well and formed a partnership with a wealthy businessman. Together, uh, together they uh, developed the town of Elaine, Elaine, Arkansas, okay? a hub for the thriving lumber industry. Now, this, this massacre is also called the Elaine, Arkansas Massacre, or Elaine, Arkansas Sharecropper Massacre, okay? Elaine, Arkansas. Okay, so E.M. Allen and the county's white landowners understood that their continued prosperity depended on the exploitation of black sharecroppers and laborers. In a county where more than 75% of the population was African American. More than 75% of the population is African American. Now, what's going to happen is, see, you're going to have the Black Codes instituted uh, 1865, 1866 after slavery ends. And and what these Black Codes are going to do is lock African Americans back into agriculture, and especially sharecropping. Okay, to exploit our wealth once again, because they're trying to figure out, okay, who's going to till the soil, who's going to plant the crops, things like this. The four million enslaved Africans were set free. Now, who's going to do the work? Because a lot of white people didn't want to do the work. So who's going to do the work? Okay, so the sharecropping system is going to be created. Okay, so together they developed the town of Elaine, Arkansas, a hub for the thriving lumber industry. Okay. Now, in a county where more than 75% of the population was African-American, this was, this was not a task to be taken lightly. In February 1919, the planters agreed to reduce the acreage of cotton in cultivation 
in anticipation of a post-war drop in demand. In in in, in, in anticipation of a uh, post-war drop in demand. In February 1919, the year after World War One ends, the planters agreed to reduce the acreage of cotton in cultivation in anticipation of a post-war drop in demand. If they gave their tenants a fair settlement, their profits would shrink further. Um, E.M. Allen spoke for the planters when he declared that, quote, the, the old Southern uh, methods are much, are much the best, end quote. The old Southern methods are much the best, and that the, quote, Southern men can handle the Negroes all right and peaceably, end quote. There was nothing peaceable about the methods used to demolish the sharecroppers' union, to demolish the sharecroppers' union. Late on the night of September 30th, 1919, the planters, now these were the white planters, they owned the plantations, they owned the farms, etc. The planters dispatched three men to break up a union meeting in a rough-hewn black church at Hoop Spur, S-P-U-R, Hoop Spur, a crossroads three miles north of Elaine, Arkansas. Prepare for trouble. The sharecroppers had assigned six men to patrol outside the church. A verbal confrontation led to gunfire that fatally wounded one of the attackers. The Union men dispersed, but not for long. The African-American men in the Union. The Union men dispersed, but not for long. Bracing for reprisals from their landlords, they routed fellow sharecroppers. Uh, they, they rousted fellow sharecroppers from bed and formed self-defense forces. Because the African-Americans were armed. You and you and even though the Arkansas is not, I don't think it's considered the South. But you had African Americans after Civil War ends. You have African Americans who, um, in in many cases, in a lot of cases, and you're dealing with 1919. So you, we were armed as well to protect ourselves from white supremacists. Protect ourselves. You had 1915, the Birth of a Nation come movie. The Birth of a Nation comes out February 8, 1915. This movie rejuvenates the Ku Klux Klan, which had largely died out by 1915, because they, the Ku Klux Klan was founded December 24, 1865, in Pulaski, Tennessee, the same month that the 13th Amendment was ratified and adopted. So, so the 13th Amendment, which legally frees enslaved Africans, was adopted December 6, 1865. Uh, it, sorry, it's ratified December 6, 1865. It's adopted December 18, 1865. And then the Ku Klux Klan is founded on Christmas Eve, 1865. Okay, in Pulaski, Tennessee. So by the time 1915 comes around, a lot of these old former Confederate soldiers had died out. The Ku Klux Klan was, had largely died out by 1915. But because the Klan were the heroes of the movie The Birth of a Nation, it rejuvenated the Klan. And this is during the second year of World War I. Okay, and then in, 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 in World War in 1915 also is, is looked at as the first year of the Great Migration as well. So you have these African Americans that are moving up north, they're moving into uh, these cities, and this increasing competition for jobs and things like this is putting stress on housing. Okay, it's causing more racial tension 
in these cities that more and more African Americans are moving into, Detroit and Gary, Indiana, and Chicago, Illinois, things like this, is causing more and more racial tensions to take place, okay, which then causes more of a need because the Klan wasn't just in the South. Klan was up north also. Klan was here in Michigan, okay? Malcolm X talked about how the Ku Klux Klan membership in Michigan, like I think in the 1960s or so, was five times greater than the membership in Mississippi, Okay, so, um, okay, so prepared for so prepared for trouble. The sharecroppers had assigned six men to patrol outside the church. A verbal confrontation led to gunfire that fatally wounded one of the attackers. The union men dispersed, but not for long. Bracing for reprisals from their landlords, they rousted fellow sharecroppers from bed and formed self-defense forces. Self-defense forces. Okay. Now, the planters also mobilized. Sheriff Frank Kitchens deputized a massive white posse, even settling, even setting up a headquarters at the courthouse. Okay, so I'm trying to check the audio. Can you all hear me? What's going on here? Stand by. Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Uh, those on Facebook, can you hear me? Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. What's going on? Stand by. On Facebook. Stand by on Facebook. I think on Blog Talk you can hear me. Uh, let me try to refresh the screen here. On uh, Let's see what's going on. Okay. Can you all hear me okay? Okay. You can hear me now. All right. So let's go back to this. Okay. So. So the union men dispersed, but not for long, bracing for reprisals from the landlords. They rousted fellow sharecroppers from bed and formed self-defense forces. Now, the black planters, so the the white planters also mobilized. Sheriff Frank Kitchens deputized a massive white posse, even setting up a headquarters at the courthouse in the county seat of Helena to organize his recruits, hundreds of white veterans. Hundreds of white veterans, veterans from World War One, most likely. Hundreds of white veterans, recently returning, yet yeah, recently returned from military service in France, flocked to the courthouse. Dividing into small groups, the armed white men set out into the countryside to search for the sharecroppers. The posse believed that a black conspiracy to murder white planters had just begun and that they must do whatever it took to put down the alleged uprising. All right, stand by. What the hell is going on? What's going on with Facebook? All right. Stand by those watching on Facebook, on Blog Talk. We should be good. Um, Hey, this is Michael M. Hotel, the African History Network. African History Network shows is part two. Um... Okay, stand by, guys. Can you all hear me on Facebook? I'm trying to see what's going on. I'm I'm broadcasting through Crowdcast, and uh, this is freezing up, so stand by. Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Can you all hear me on Facebook? 
I stand by those on uh, Blog Talk Radio. Stand by. Uh, this is an article from the DailyBeast.com. The DailyBeast.com. Um, this is dealing with uh, the Elaine, Arkansas uh, massacre of 1919. You had about 237 um, African American sharecroppers uh, who were killed just for asking for higher wages, organizing to get higher wages. Okay. All right, everybody on um, Facebook, stand by, because this is uh... all right. This is acting up. Let me try to refresh the screen. Okay, so those on Facebook, can you see me? Uh, can you see me again? Should be able to hear me here in just a minute. All right. Testing one, two, three. Video should be uh video should be up and running. Okay, loading video stream. It's refreshing the screen here on uh Facebook. Oh hell, let's stop the broadcast. Okay, just stop the broadcast. Uh, okay, those on Facebook uh, call in. Okay, just a second. Call in and listen by phone. Nine one four three three eight. 1375. All right. Call in, listen by phone, 914-338-1375. Okay. Because the broadcast on Facebook just stopped. It, uh, some technical difficulties. It was a problem with Crowdcast, it looks like. All right. Okay, so let's continue with this. We'll go to the phone lines in just a minute here. Uh, 914-338-1375 is the call in number. Uh, let's see here. All right. So let's continue here. Okay. All right, let's go back to this article here from, um, um, Daily Beast. DailyBeast.com. I got to get back, back over to this. Hold on. The screen's freezing up on me. All right, hold on. I need to... Uh, all right, let's see here. All right, stand by. 
Okay. All right, we're still on on uh, Skype. All right. All right, so let's go back to this article here. Let me bring this up again, just a second. So this is dealing with the Elaine, uh, Arkansas sharecropper massacre of 1919, the year after uh, World War One ends. Okay, and I'm waiting for this uh, to come back up here. All right. Okay. So this took place in 1919. All right. So the planters also mobilized Sheriff Frank Kitchens deputized a massive white posse, even uh, after setting up headquarters, even setting up headquarters at the courthouse in the county seat of Helena uh, to organize recruits. Okay. And let me uh, just a second. Let me bring up uh, Google Chrome as well. I need to open this back up in Google Chrome. All right, be sure to visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, we have the Black Panther Bundle Pack uh, right now. It's on sale. We have a weekend sale going on. You get two of my lectures dealing with the film Black Panther and uh, three other presentations and three documentaries as well. So that's on sale, $80, regularly $130 at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right, so um, hundreds of white veterans recently returned from a military service in France flocked to the courthouse, um, dividing into small groups. The armed white men set out into the countryside to search for the sharecroppers. The posse believed uh, that a black conspiracy to murder uh, white planters had just begun and that they must do whatever it took to uh, put down the alleged uprising, okay? The result was the killing of 237 Americans, all right? The result was the killing of 237 uh, Americans, all right? Uh, we'll go to the phone lines in just a minute. If you have a question or comment, press the number one key to put you in queue so I can bring you on the air. None of the perpetrators, participants in uh, mass murder, answered for their crime. No one was charged. No trials were held, at, at, at least not of those who had killed African-Americans. In the early 20th century, state-sanctioned state uh, collective violence targeting African-Americans was a common occurrence in the United States. 1919 was an especially bloody year. By September of 1919, the nation had already experienced seven major outbreaks of anti-black violence, commonly called race riots. Riots have flared in cities as, as different as Knoxville, uh, Tennessee, Omaha, uh, Nebraska, and Washington, D.C. In Chicago, a lakefront a lake lake altercation between whites and blacks escalated into a week-long riot that took the lives of 38 men, 23 African-American, 15, to restore order. Illinois, uh, Illinois Governor Frank Loudon called in thousands of state militia. The root cause of 1919's violence was the reassertion of white supremacy after World War I. Dis, uh, disfranchisement, Jim Crow laws, and biased police forces and courts had stripped African Americans of many of their constitutional rights and created 
deep-set economic, social, and political inequities. Blacks who defied the rules and traditions of white supremacy risked uh, personal ruin. Being banished from their hometowns uh, was one punishment, bodily harm, beatings and whippings, and death. In just five months, in, in uh, 1919, uh, from January to May, more than 20 lynch mobs murdered two dozen African Americans, okay? In just five months in 1919, from January to May of 1919, more than 20 lynch mobs murdered two dozen African Americans. One of these victims was a black veteran killed for refusing to stop wearing his army uniform. Because, see, a lot of these white supremacists did not like to see these brothers come back home wearing their uniforms. They took offense to this. After they fought in World War I for America, okay? Now, lynchers took pride in their actions, often posing for photographs at the scenes of their crimes. Few were ever charged, let alone convicted. Mob violence helped protect the racial status quo. Mob violence helped protect the racial status quo. Okay, now what made uh, what made 1919 unique was the armed resistance of African Americans mounted against white mobs trying to keep them in their place. Let me repeat: what made 1919 unique was the armed resistance that African Americans mounted against white mobs trying to keep them in their place. They exercised their, their Second Amendment rights and armed themselves to defend themselves. Now, during the United States, brief but transformative involvement in World War I, almost 370,000 African-American men served in the military, most of them in the Army. On the home front, African-American men and women bought war bonds, volunteered for the Red Cross, and worked in defense factories. They were uh, fighting to make the world safe for democracy. As President Woodrow Wilson, who was a white supremacist, as President Woodrow Wilson defined the war's purpose, yet they did not have equal rights and opportunities at home. When the war ended in 1918, African Americans resolved to make America safe for democracy. In May of 1919, the year after, civil rights activist and prolific writer Dr. W.B. Du Bois declared, quote, we return from fighting. We return fighting. Make way for democracy. We saved it in France, and by the great Jehovah, we will save it in the United States of America or know the reason why. He said, we return from fighting. We return fighting. Make way for democracy. We saved it in France, and by the great Jehovah, we will save it in the United States of America or know the reason why, end quote. Now, whether they had served in the military or not, African-Americans answered Dr. W.B. Du Bois' clarion call. When a white mob uh, in Longview, Texas, tried to uh, seize a black man named S.L. Jones, the initials S.L. and then Jones, J-O-N-E-S, to lynch him for insulting the honor of a white woman, a self-defense force organized by S.L. Jones' friends opened fire, dispersing the mob and saving S.L. Jones' life. When police in Chicago failed to stop white gangs from attacking African Americans, veterans of the 370, uh, 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 370th Regiment, 93rd Division, 
which was an all-black uh, unit recently returned from France, from France, put on their uniforms, armed themselves, and took to the streets. And when white servicemen and veterans joined with civilians to form mobs in Washington, D.C., hundreds of African-American Washington, uh, Washingtonians uh, lined the streets of Uptown, now called Shaw, S-H-A-W, Shaw, to prevent these mobs from marauding in the neighborhood known for its black-owned businesses and theaters. So African-Americans, we have a long history of exercising our Second Amendment rights, arming ourselves to protect ourselves from white supremacists and Ku Klux Klan members and bigots and things like this. Okay? Now, the Arkansas sharecroppers who stood up against the white planters of Phillips, of Phillips County were a major part of black resistance during 1919, the Red Summit. Their courage came with heavy costs. A word of the trouble spread. White vigilantes from Mississippi crossed the river and began attacking uh, African Americans. The posse organized by Sheriff Kitchens scoured the cane breaks, C-A-N-E-B-R-A-K-E-S, cane breaks and fields firing on African Americans. Meanwhile, Arkansas Governor Charles Bro cabled the War Department to request, to request the deployment of infantry units. Almost 600 white troops and officers soon arrived from Camp Pike, P-I-K-E, told that an African-American uprising was underway. The soldiers rounded up African-Americans and, like the Mississippi vigilantes and local posse, killed indiscriminately, okay, killed indiscriminately, told that an African-American uprising was underway. These U.S. troops opened fire on African-American citizens, okay, and killed indiscriminately. A special agent for the Missouri Pacific Railroad, who led a force of approximately 50 white men, later said the Mississippi mob, quote, shot and killed men, women, and children without regard to whether they were guilty or innocent of any connection with the killing of anybody or whether members of the union or not, end quote. One of the county's richest white men, Gerard Lambert, Gerard Lambert observed soldiers shoot a black man who had tried to run from a hiding place. Let that, quote, be a lesson, end quote, the troops told blacks who were also present. Vigilantes killed a black woman, pulled her dress over her head, and left her body on a road, another brutal, quote, unquote, lesson of what happened when African Americans fought for their, quote, unquote, place. The sharecroppers did the best they could to defend themselves and their families and neighbors. A group of sharecroppers and a black veteran in uniform shot back when part of the posse opened fire. Hearing the shots, Union member Frank Moore rallied the men with him. Quote, let's go help them people, uh, let's go help them people out, end quote, he shouted. But the sharecroppers were outgunned and outmanned. By October 3rd, 1919, most had been captured in jail. Uh, sheriff's deputies and special agents uh, for the Missouri Pacific Railroad tortured them to extract false confessions to a conspiracy to murder whites. Rigged trials, R-G-G-E-D, rigged trials brought swift convictions and death sentences for 12 men whose only crime was their attempt to obtain fair earnings for their labor. Protracted appeals supported by the NAACP uh, resulted in a uh, Supreme Court decision, the Supreme Court decision of Moore versus Dempsey of 1923, that helped free the men. Protracted appeals supported by the NAACP resulted in a Supreme Court decision that helped free the men. 
The ruling also established the federal government's obligation to ensure that uh, state trial proceedings preserve the Constitution's guarantee of due process and, and equal protection of the laws, a standard the Arkansas trials certainly had not met. This legal victory could, could not give back the lives of the African-American residents killed by the posse, vigilantes, and troops in Phillips County. The death toll of 237 uh, people reported by the Equal Justice Initiative, which, whose executive director is Brian Stevenson, is the Equal Justice Initiative that raised $20 million for the lynching museum in Montgomery, Alabama, and the memorial. The death toll of 237 reported by the Equal Justice Initiative is a new figure based on extensive research. In 1919, the year of the Red Summer, sources as varied as the NAACP and the Bureau of Investigation. The Bureau of Investigation was the precursor to the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation. These two entities estimated the number uh, of killed African Americans at 25 to 80. Now, writer Robert Whitaker, who has identified 22 separate killing sites of African Americans during this massacre, put the death toll at more than 100. NAACP official Walter White, who risked his life in October 1919 to investigate the killings, stated that the, quote, number of Negroes killed during the riot is unknown and probably never will be known, end quote. In contrast, just four whites died. Of the 237 killed, only four white people died all of them posse members. One or two may have died as a result of friendly fire. Say the number of African Americans killed in Phillips County in 1919 was, uh, was 25 or 80 or 237. The very fact that almost 100 years after the massacre, we are still trying to pinpoint the death toll should tell us to a large reckoning, should, should, should lead us to a large reckoning coming to terms with one of the most violent years in the nation's history, bloodshed that resulted from efforts to make America safe for democracy. Check out this article from uh, thedailybeast.com, written by David Krugler. America's forgotten mass lynching when 237 people were murdered in Arkansas. Okay? Let's go to the phone lines. If you have, if you have a question or comment, press the number one key. We'll put you in queue. So we could bring you on the air. And let's see here. Okay, so we should be good here. All right, call in the 773 area code. Welcome to the African History Network show in overtime. Do you have a question or comment or just listening? Hello, Michael. This is Michelle. I'm calling from Chicago. Uh, I, I have a couple of comments and then a question. Okay, go ahead. I, I, um, a couple of things. Uh, Brian Stevenson, it's interesting. I saw him speak a few years ago at uh, the Chicago Public Library. He was doing a book tour for his book, Just Mercy. Okay. And it's interesting. He was talking about the lynching museum back then, and that was maybe four, five, six years ago. So it's interesting to see this actually come to fruition now. Now, actually, right. Michael P. Jordan, Killmonger, was supposed to uh, play Brian um, the book had been optioned to do a movie. I don't know where that is now, if it's on old, if it's going to happen. It was in the works, um, things, I don't know what's going to happen with it now, but Michael B. Jordan was supposed to play Brian Stevenson. Now, Brian Stevenson, you know, he's a MacArthur Foundation uh, genius. He won the Genius Grant, got a million dollars. 
um, that that grant gives just carte blanche. But he's like an interesting kind of ra- racial character personality. He's he's supported. He, you know, he's able to raise twenty million dollars. Al Sharpton might not have been able to raise twenty million dollars for a lynching museum. Mm-hmm. So I would just like your thoughts about how. Brian Stevenson navigates the racial terrain of America with the acceptance and support that he gets. Uh, is he married to a white woman? I don't know. I don't. I don't really see him around mm, anybody. I, I don't know whether he's married or not. I don't know, so, no, okay. know whether he's married or that's not. A, that, okay. So that's one question. And then another thing is too. I have to when um, people started to put pictures on Facebook about the lynchings. Um, and I saw some people try to be real contrarian and intellectual and say, well, white people aren't the only ones capable of mob violence. You know, uh, everybody fought and had slavery, and, and, and Native uh, indigenous people fought each other, and, and there's ethnic warfare and tribal warfare in Africa. But nobody did this kind of thing for sports in the way that Europeans did along racial lines. Maybe there was right. inter-ethnic conflict, and that was usually within warfare. Um, somebody did something. Somebody was trying to get some land from somebody else. But Europeans did this for sport in a way that nobody ever has in history. And so if you could just speak to the kind of mentality that has to go into this, I mean, this was for sport. This was unnecessary. People were uh, burned alive. People would take body parts as souvenirs. People would have a mm-hmm. picnic. I, I can't understand that this kind of mentality. So if I could just get your well, thoughts yeah, I, and insights into. I, I, I talked about that some in the uh, on nine ten a.m. Superstation. Uh, we, we talked about that some, but this goes to the dehumanization of African Americans. And we were dehumanized also throughout uh, through the, throughout the media, even during slavery, in songs, uh, with the minstrel shows, um, in in um, uh, books, in magazines, in newspapers, uh, we were dehumanized. Okay, so we we have to understand the relationship between how the between the media and how it programs people to think, feel, act, and behave towards certain groups of people and the treatment of those people. We have to understand the correlation. This is why we have to understand history, okay? Because the minstrel shows were started by 1820, 1829 by T.D. Rice, Thomas Dartmouth Rice, T.D. Rice, and they were designed to lampoon and make fun of and show African Americans as being uh, idiots, as being buffoons, things like this, and they have all these negative stereotypes of us, and this was one of the most, um, this was one of the most uh, um, popular forms of entertainment in the country. Okay, not just the South, but also the North. All right, so then if we, so then if we look at the relationship between negative corporate hip-hop that shows African Americans as being, uh, oftentimes as being dehumanized, depicts us as participating in criminality, drug usage, consumption of alcohol, hypersexualizes African American women, uh, uh, shows uh, promotes materialism, things like this. If we look at that, we we see that is designed also 
to put us in a negative light, and it also conditions people on how to act towards us, and it dehumanizes us. We don't we don't understand the relationship between that. Okay. All right. All right, Michelle. I got to run, but thanks for calling yeah. in. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And your thoughts on Brian Stevenson if you get if you get a chance. You said do what now? Uh, your thoughts on Brian Stevenson about how he's able to navigate sort of a rocky mm-hmm. racial terrain, but he's able able to kind of sail around through it rather smoothly. And you don't right. really see him associating with anybody. Certainly not the Nation of Islam or even really the old civil rights establishment. He's sort of out there, the lone character, but he's able to do things like the Justice Initiative and, and you know, be called on by Starbucks. So uh, he's sort of an interesting uh, racial player in, in the racial terrain of America, and I just wanted your thoughts about how he's able to navigate around with seemingly um, a great deal of support and respect from white. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, well, I, I don't know exactly how I was able to do it. I know uh, the Equal Justice Initiative has been doing a lot of good things. I know they've been gotten uh, African Americans on death row, gotten uh, their convictions overturned through things like that. I don't know exactly how they're able to do it, though. Yeah, right. I, yeah. I, I'm just curious. I know he doesn't really associate with you know Jesse Jackson or Al Sharpton or anybody, but um, yeah, he does good work. But I'm just curious about your thoughts was about how he sort of navigates around things um, and without without even necessarily a lot of support from the black community I don't know if a lot of black people really know who he is that much right okay all right all right thanks for calling all right good uh, okay. good to talk to you I, I hate that we got into this as a people but we don't we don't make it we're gonna get out of it and reclaim our power back right exactly exactly reclaim our all right, thank uh, reclaiming you for our time call. have a good day yeah, reclaiming yeah. our time. Okay. <laughs> That's right. All right. Thanks for calling. All right. Thanks. Have a good night. All right. Bye-bye. All right. You too. Bye. All right. Okay. So we'll be here for a few more minutes. Uh, we ain't going to get to some of these other topics here. I have to do another broadcast. But I already did two hours tonight on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation. And we started here about, uh, what time we start? About 12.04. We've been going for an hour and 30 minutes here on Blog Talk. So uh, uh, let me see something here. Where is okay? If you have a question or comment, press the number one key to put you in queue to bring you on the air. Call a uh, nine one four three three eight thirteen seventy five. Press the number one key to put you in queue to bring you on the air. If you have a question or comment, all right. And uh, those listening, also be sure to visit our website, africanhistorynetwork.com, dot com, africanhistory network dot com. Okay. Um, we have uh, the uh, Black Panther Bundle Packs, an eight-DVD bundle pack. Two of my presentations in with the film Black Panther. And um, also some of my other presentations in uh, three documentaries as well. That's on sale $80, regularly $130 for limited time only. And then uh, we also have um, the uh, bundle pack of our online courses that are on demand, bundle pack of our online courses on demand right on the homepage of our website. It, there, there are uh, uh, 10 of them in the bundle pack, including ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach them in school. Um, and that's a 14-hour, seven-session online course. There's a lot of bonus content as well. 
so that bundle packs on sale for sixty dollars for limited time only because it's regularly like one hundred thirty dollars. Okay, let's go uh, back to the phone lines quickly here. Let's go to the two six nine area code. Uh, call in the two six nine. Welcome to the After History Network show. Uh, do you have a question or comment, or just listening? Uh, brother, yeah, I'm. I'm just a quick um, comment, uh, man. I, I, first of all, okay. again, I appreciate your Tyler's uh, work in the uh, in our community. Um, also, um, I missed both parts. I didn't miss all of it, but I missed a portion that I've. Um, I'm concerned about all of it, but uh, one thing I'm, I'm I'm concerned and perturbed about in our community is um, the, the, the treatment of the NFL uh, concerning our brother our captain. Yeah, I'm gonna come to You posed the question. Uh, if you can just, I, I'm, I'm sorry I missed it, but if you give me just a short snippet of you said that it, it, you you posed the question is is uh, uh, have, have, have have does Brother Kaepernick have enough evidence to uh, prove collusion um, to send an NFL? What what basically are you are you uh, referring to? Uh, I was referring to the uh, secret audio that was released of a meeting that NFL players had, but I'm going to come to that story in just a minute. I haven't, haven't gotten to that story yet. Okay. Okay, brother. All right. I'm, I'm listening then. Okay. All right. Keep listening. Thanks for calling. All right. All right. Nine one four three three eight thirteen seventy five is the call in number. You can also listen online at blogtalkradio.com forward slash the African history network show blogtalkradio.com forward slash the African history network show. Okay, um, one other article I got to get to uh, dealing with the lynchings is because uh, the lynching museum opened this past Thursday. This is extremely important. So there was an article from the L.A. Times that I saw, and uh, I monitor about 40 different news sources on a daily basis. Five of them are from the continent of Africa. Um, and if you want to support the African History Network, also you could donate to the African History Network um, paypal.me paypal.me forward slash the ahn show paypal.me forward slash the ahn show stands for african history network or just go to our website africanhistorynetwork.com click on the yellow donate button right right on the home page okay so that was an article april 28 2018 what was this saturday uh how lynching was used by whites to destroy competition for black business owners. This is from the L.A. Times. How lynching was used by whites to destroy competition for black business owners. And this is from, um, this is from, uh, okay, this was written by uh, our brother, LeGrand H. Clegg II. LeGrand Clegg II. And he's the one that put out that series back in like the 80s, I think it was, when the black man ruled the world. It was a video series. It was on uh, VHS when the black man ruled the world. Okay, so in this article, a short article he wrote for the L.A. Times, um, and it says to the editor, uh, many sincere white Americans have raised the question of why African Americans have failed to become as successful as other people of color, especially recent immigrants to the United States. The article on lynchings shed some light on the subject. And let me see, which article was he referring to? Well, I'll, we'll come back to that article in just a minute here. 
Now, the story of the murder of Elmore Bowling, who I talked about in the article from AtlantaBlackStar.com entitled, We Don't Confront the Legacy of Lynching, New Memorial Offers Chance to Remember, Heal. Okay, we talked about Elmore Bowling, who was lynched in 1947, successful African-American man, owned a number of businesses. Okay, the story of the murder of Elmore Bowling, a successful black businessman by his jealous white neighbor in Alabama, uh, here it says 1949, but the article from uh, AtlantaBlackStar.com said 1947, was just a glimpse into a pattern of racist violence that terrorized African Americans for generations. On a broader scale, during the Jim Crow era, white Americans destroyed prosperous black businesses in many counties. One of the most notorious of such incidents took place in Memphis, Tennessee in 1892. There, a store called People's Grocery, uh, which was owned by a successful black businessman, okay? His name was uh, Moss. I think that was Thomas Moss. It's, called the Mo- it's known as the Moss Store Murders, These, and he was a friend of Ida B. Wells, okay? So his business competed with a nearby white-owned shop, the People's Grocery Owner, the people's grocery uh, owner and two of his black employees were lynched by white marauders in a horrific assault that reverberated throughout the nation and wiped out the entrepreneurial spirit of many African-Americans in Memphis and elsewhere. OK, um, he goes on to say uh, to the editor, I hope the memorial to lynching victims in Alabama pays homage in some way, to the first journalist, a black woman, to put an international spotlight on lynching in the South. Ida B. Wells was not only documented uh, the uh, Ida B. Wells not only documented the extent of lynching, but even more importantly, debunked the quote-unquote rape myth. The rape myth. This was the prevailing view at the turn of the 20th century that lynching of black men was somehow justified because they raped white women. Using statistics from white newspapers, Ida B. Wells revealed that lynchings in the South had many causes, including the rising economic competition of African-Americans with whites, maintaining white supremacy, not the rape of white women, uh, was the overall motivating factor, uh, Ida B. Wells concluded. Okay, so you had an increase in African-American business ownership, increase in competition that white businesses were getting from African-American businesses. Okay. And with the uh, great migration, so also with the great migration later, starting in 1915, you're going to have an increase. You're going to have more competition for jobs as well. Now, Ida B. Wells later began an urban, became an urban reformer and passionate suffragist. But her groundbreaking work was soon largely forgotten after she died in 1931. I hope she is not forgotten today. Okay, so that was so that portion was from Karl Marx Redlands. The first one that I read said to the editor that was from Legrand H. Clegg the second. Okay, all right. So this deals with how lynching was used by whites to destroy competition from black business owners. This is by this is from LA Times, August uh, April 28, 2018. Okay. Uh let's go back to this uh story here from uh, uh news1.com. This is dealing with 
um, Colin Kaepernick, okay? Let's go to this story here. So did Colin Kaepernick just get the proof he needs to win his collusion case against the NFL? Now, NFL teams have signed at least 50 quarterbacks since Colin Kaepernick became a free agent. So this article is from um, April 12, 2018, from Bruce uh, uh, Bruce Wright, okay? Uh, I think this was posted before April 12th, to tell you the truth. Uh, but maybe it was April 12th, okay. So Colin Kaepernick has not abandoned his interests in return to the NFL as a quarterback, but at least one team showed uh, this week that it is certainly – uh, it, that it certainly has. The Seattle Seahawks abruptly canceled a workout session with the socially conscious uh, athlete after after learning he had no intention uh, to stop kneeling during the playing of the national anthem, during the playing of the national anthem uh, before games. Okay? So this is according to a new report from ESPN's uh, NFL reporter Adam uh, Schefter, okay. Adam Schefter, Adam, Adam Schefter tweeted on April 12, 2018, after arranging for Colin Kaepernick to work out for the Seahawks this week. Seattle postponed the trip when the quarterback declined to stop kneeling during the uh, national anthem next season. Okay, um, league sources tell uh, ESPN. League sources tell ESPN. The development could strengthen Kaepernick's collusion case against the NFL. While collusion, uh, quote, requires actual cooperation between teams or cooperation between a team or teams and the league, according to Sports Illustrated, this latest development is a pretty good uh, piece of evidence that there may be a conspiracy to keep Colin Kaepernick out of a league that does not actually require its players to stand during the national anthem does not actually require its players to stand during that because they don't actually require the league does not actually require their players to stand during the national anthem. Now you have some uh, team owners who are white supremacists. We know you got seven team owners that donated to Donald Trump's uh, presidential campaign, okay? And they're saying, hey, if any of our players, if they kneel, we're going to bench them. They're not going to play, blah, 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 okay? Let me test something out. Testing. Testing, one, two, three. I'm going to test out this other microphone, see how things go. Testing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right, I want to test out this headset. Testing one, two, three, testing. Testing one, two, three, testing. Okay. So I think, let me see if this works here. Uh, where is it? Testing one, two, three. All right, hold on. Just give me a second here. I'm trying to test out this headset because I'm doing a different setup here with blog talk and I'm trying to see how it works. All right. Now, uh, let me see something here. I need to see what happened to Skype. Just a second. I need to see where my Skype icon is. Uh, hold on. 
Are we still on? Okay. I hear it, but what the heck happened to my Skype icon? Just a second here. So I'm monitoring this through the phone line. All right. Testing, one, two, three, testing. What happened? Let me see something here. Testing, one, two, three, testing, testing, one, two, three. Okay, it's switching microphones. Uh, we're still on, but I don't know what happened to my Skype icon. All right, we'll keep going. All right, I got I have to do a test. Uh, I'm trying to test some things out to see. I'm trying to see if I can um, get the blog talk back up and running and maybe broadcast on Thursday nights like I used to for years. We'll see. I don't know. Let's have to determine how much energy I have. I have a one-year-old daughter now. Uh, so I got to see how much time I have for that. Okay, so let's go back to this article about Colin Kaepernick. Okay. Um, so while that is a uh, popular argument, the talent factor is now. Let me back up just a minute here. Okay. So um, so Adam Schefter uh, posted on April 12th on uh, Twitter. And uh, the article was on to say, while collusion, quote, requires actual cooperation between teams or cooperation between a team or teams and the league, according to Sports Illustrated, the latest development is a pretty good piece of evidence that there may be a conspiracy to keep Colin Kaepernick out of a league that does not actually require its players to stand during the national anthem. Okay, so Mike Freeman, who writes for, I think he writes for, uh, who's he write for, NFL, NFL uh, ESPN or NFL.com, Mike Freeman writes for, he tweeted April 12th, he said, NFL lawyers, hey, maybe we got this Kaepernick collusion case beat after all. Seahawks, hold my latte. Okay, so, quote, uh, Seattle still is considering bringing in Kaepernick for a tryout, and no decisions are final, end quote, uh, uh, Adam Schefter uh, reported, citing, quote-unquote, a source. So the article goes on to say, NFL teams have signed at least 50 quarterbacks since Kaepernick became a free agent, and the consensus was the most uh, was that most of them were inferior talent-wise, according to a list compiled by the undefeated. So the undefeated is a, um, a website. Uh, it's owned by uh, ESPN. Jamel Hill writes for the undefeated now and it's a website that deals with uh sports news but it deals with the intersection of race and sports okay and culture okay so uh now kaepernick who uh let me see now um while that's a popular argument uh dealing with uh, uh the list compiled from the undefeated while that's a popular argument the talent factor is not actually uh, considered when trying to determine collusion between owners and the league. As Sports Illustrated noted, uh, quote, for purposes of collusion analysis, Kaepernick's superior talent compared to some NFL uh, quarterbacks does not by itself prove anything. Kaepernick's, um, let me see, Kaepernick's superior talent compared to some um, NFL quarterbacks, does not by itself prove anything. Now, Kaepernick, who 
uh, began his silent protest during the 2016 season over issues related to social justice for African Americans as it relates to police brutality uh, before filing a grievance against the NFL in October of 2017 is scheduled to be deposed in his collusion case on Tuesday. So that would have been uh, this early uh, mid April deposed in his collusion case. Quote, the deposition is expected to last several hours and could dive into instances where Kaepernick appeared to make negative proclamations about law enforcement on social media or during practices such as his wearing of the now infamous pigs in uh, pigs and police hat pigs and police hats socks during training camp in 2016, and this was reported by Yahoo Sports. Still, any resolution could stretch well beyond the upcoming season, putting Kaepernick's hopes of resuming his NFL career in further jeopardy. Okay, so this is an article from uh, um, news1.com. News1.com. Did Ka- Colin Kaepernick just get proof he needs uh, – did Colin Kaepernick just get the proof he needs to win his collusion case against the NFL? Okay, from news1.com. There was also an article from, um, what was that? That was from uh, afro.com, which is the Baltimore Afro American. Uh, that was a newspaper founded around 1882, the Baltimore Afro American. Their website is uh, afro.com, afro.com. Okay. And I'm trying to I'm gonna try to test this other microphone out. I'm trying to figure some things out because my mixer board is not working correctly. I gotta figure out what's wrong with my mixer board. That thing costs eight hundred dollars. I hope I don't have to buy another one. Uh, okay, so let's see here. Where is this? Just stand by. I'm trying to I'm trying to test something out. Being that we're on live, and I gotta see where this. Okay, and nine one four three three eight thirteen seventy five is the call in number if you have a question or comment. Nine one four three three eight thirteen seventy five. I'm trying to see if I can get this other microphone to work. I'm trying to figure out what my capabilities are here. Testing one two three. Testing one two three. Testing testing. Okay, so hold on. Let's see something here. Where's this mic? Testing, testing. Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three, four, five. Testing one, two, three, four, five. Two, four, six, eight, ten. Testing one, two, three, four, five. All right, let me try this mic. Seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay. So let me see if this, I'm using the Shure microphone. It's an industry standard microphone. Testing, one, two, three. Which one is working? Testing. Testing, one, two, three. Testing, one, two, three. Testing. All right, let's see what happens. Okay, so... um, let me see if I can pull up this article from Afro.com. If you have a question or comment, press the number one key. Uh, put you in queue to bring you on the air. Uh, 
So we're going to get out of here in a few minutes. We've been going uh, two hours. Wow. As far as radio. Uh, let me see. Okay, so Afro.com had one as well. I'm trying to see if I can find that one. All right, let's see. Let me pull up Afro.com. And because uh, I read that article as well. Testing one, two, three. Testing. Two, four, six, eight, ten. All right. Okay, I'm trying to pull up this article here. Some of these other topics we're going to get to uh, later this week. Hey, remember we have pod- audio podcasts of our shows here. Um, at uh, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com and on Blog Talk Radio. On Blog Talk Radio, our channel is BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash the African History Network show. BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash the African History Network show. Okay. Let me try to pull up this article here. And uh, the audio podcast of the show from um, 9, 10 a.m. Superstation. We'll get that uploaded on Monday. Uh, also, uh, you can listen to our podcast at iTunes, uh, the African History Network show on iTunes, iTunes.com. All right. Let's try to get it. Uh see if this will come up. All right, those in the Detroit area, I'm doing a presentation Sunday, May 6, 2018, 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. at the New Nandy's Knowledge Cafe, located at uh, 71 Oakman Avenue in Highland Park, Michigan. 71 Oakman Avenue in Highland Park, Michigan, uh, right off, right near Hamilton. Uh, this is a, a Black Panther analysis, African culture, history, and Afrofuturism. Black Panther analysis, African culture, history, and um, Afrofuturism. Okay, it's a free event, donations accepted, come on out. It's a deep, deep presentation I had dealing with the film Black Panther. All right, let's see if we can bring this up in Google Chrome. Just a minute here. This Firefox is freezing up on me. All right, let's see here. Let's try to refresh the screen. And then uh, also Sunday night, I'll be on the air live, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the African History Network show as well. Oops, I didn't mean to do that. All right, stand by. To bring Firefox back up. Okay, um, and I did a Facebook Live broadcast earlier today, early uh, earlier Monday, dealing with um, the Koch brothers. Okay, the Koch brothers are financing 
a curriculum teaching the history of slavery and the Civil War and things like this, but it is revisionist history. Check that out at the African History Network on Facebook, okay? Check out that broadcast that I did. All right, so let's try this again here. Let's bring up uh, afro.com. Okay, second, I'm trying to bring up this article here. Uh, They have one dealing with Colin Kaepernick and collusion also. All right. Okay, so we have about 800 audio podcasts uh, uh, here on Blog Talk, blogtalkradio.com forward slash the African History Network show. Uh, It's about 830, something like that. Okay, does the secret audio of NFL owners meeting prove Colin Kaepernick's alleged collusion suit. This is from uh, April 27th, okay? Um, A secret audio recording from an October 2017 meeting between NFL owners, executives, and players was revealed by the New York Times on April 25th. A lot of interesting comments made by some of the league's owners during the meeting were exposed in the New York Times report causing speculation that the audio recording may have provided the evidence Colin Kaepernick needs to prove his lawsuit against uh, the NFL for alleged collusion in his apparent uh, exile from the league. Kaepernick's attorneys have already deposed most of the owners mentioned in the report in an attempt to put together evidence to support his claim of collusion. The former 49ers quarterback would have would would have to prove that owners came to uh, an agreement not to sign him based on his protest of police brutality against African-Americans, okay? Uh, So check out the rest of this article, afro.com. Does the secret audio of NFL owners, uh, uh, does the secret audio of NFL owners meeting prove Kaepernick's alleged collusion suit? This is uh, from Afro.com, April 27, 2018. Okay, look, we got to get out of here. Hey, remember at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. Right now, let's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. Wakanda forever. We'll talk to you next time. Peace.